What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Oh, goddamn hacker, that second damn night that asshole's cut in. The movement was begun eight months ago by a small group of scientists who discovered, quite by accident, these signals being sent through town. took the hackers months to figure out how to do this. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own gain. Please understand, they are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. They're pulling the water out of the sand. Like Welcome, that. everybody, to Aeon Bite. Welcome to AB Live on this moon day. And happy 9-11. I know, I know. It's kind of a weird, uh, weird remark, but it is a sort of a... A holiday for us who, uh, in the esoterica conspiracy circles and the occult, it is a it is an uh, a time when many of us got our red pills or pink beans or woke up. Nine eleven and has been continuous for all of us who are trying to understand the man behind the curtain. So, in a way, it's good to uh, you might say celebrate or commemorate or reflect. On this day, and the topic today is definitely lends to it, and and I'm very excited. It's going to be an amazing show. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am still your pompadus of gnosis. So, with us today from the from the dying dystopia of San Francisco, we have the honor of having Wayne Matthias. Wayne, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Miguel. I tell you, I've, I've been watching you and your friends, Chris Knowles and uh, uh, Gordon White, Gigi Young, dark journalist, and uh, Stephen Snyder. And, uh, you know, you're all a bunch of escapees from, uh, from the funny farms. <laughs> and, and I love you're you guys. Wrong. You're my you're, people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. I, uh, I am so happy that you... Uh, you are here. I'm so happy that you started the blog, The Open Sanctum. Incredible research and definitely something to share with the audience and spread the word because we cannot be free. We are not free and we cannot be free until we continue to deprogram ourselves. But with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, happy 9-11. Oh, same to you. Um, never forget where I was on Route 280, driving to San Francisco, actually, on my way to work. And I turned around and went back home. Yeah, it's uh, one of those days everybody's got a story. But again, it's also red pill for other generations. It might have been the assassination of Kennedy. Uh, when I think yesterday, one of the witnesses that was there came with some mind-blowing 
new evidence or a witness. He basically turned around or destroyed the whole story about the uh, lone gunman. For others, it might have been Vietnam and the Gulf of Tonkin and who knows what else. But uh, 9-11 is, was certainly a big a red pill or sort of, you might say, awakening experience for so many people. I know as far as JFK, uh, I know Elvis never believed the, the one lone gunman story. He was one of the few minority people who loudly in the media would talk about how there's no way it was uh, that the official narrative was wrong. So, but let's get to, yeah, the, the really important stuff, which is the idea of the mind control and Wayne's work. For all of you there in the chat, good to see you. I see you there, Chester. If you get a chance, Chester, please post the scores of the New York Jets-Buffalo Bills game. I want to see if Aaron Rodgers still has it. He left Wisconsin, and the Bears still suck, so so it is. Hey, Grandpong. I see HP Lovecraft. So good to see everybody. And as always, if you have a question, for Wayne or a comment for me or Vance, please super chat them and we will separate them from the crowd and get to you as soon as possible. You guys are so smart. Everybody who listens to the show is amazing. You are the final authority. You're going to do so many wonders once you fully wake up and listen to your soul that has all the answers, including your sacred purpose. So Wayne, let's talk about you. Uh, you have been on a few other podcasts, but uh, this is your first time honoring the virtual Alexandria. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your journey of awakening. Well, um, I was born here in San Francisco, one of the rare natives. Uh, I've been away and I've come back again. I probably will go away again at some point. Um, and uh, I've seen a lot in the last uh, six decades, uh, I would say that had some interesting, uh, well, some high strangeness type of encounters because a lot of strange things have happened in this city over the years. Uh, I went to the, to the nursery school in the Presidio, which was subsequently taken over by Colonel Michael Aquino. Might have, and I lived for a time uh, just a few blocks from the People's Temple. Um, I mean, it's kind of like being the Forrest Gump of uh, the Bay Area. I mean, uh, there's <laughs> encounters. You know, I got to meet Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson, which oh. was interesting. And I wish I had been better prepared for that because I was rather young at the time and was not able. I wouldn't be able to engage with them properly for many years hence. So, but it was, uh, it wasn't, I would say, you know, there are th encounters that open doors, let's say, and then you can proceed on your own and uh, learn new things that you might not have otherwise. And um, for a time uh, in college, I lived in a cabin in, in Monterio, which is about uh, 50, 60 miles north of here and uh, just next door to Bohemian Grove. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't even really the beast. know. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I didn't really know until I started talking to protesters who would show up for the, uh, to run, you know, because the Bohemians had to run the gauntlet every time because there's one road in and out. And I got to talking with folks and I got to learn about stuff like, oh, the Bilderberg group and, you know, uh, Davos and all that stuff. And 
And I even hiked in. I'm not advising that, by the way. I was just lucky, you know, because all I had to do is just go right over the ridge and down the other side and bingo is on their on Bohemian property. And uh, but I did not have a map. I had no idea how big the place was or which direction the owl was in. And I got scared. I got to admit, I didn't want to hang around and get caught by security and arrested for trespassing. So, you know. Uh, had I been better prepared, I, you know, but uh, nowadays I got to figure they beefed up security. You know, I mean, the technology is everybody kind of knows what's a, what's possible now. So really, um, I don't I mean, I'm glad at least Alex Jones managed to get in and out and get some. <laughs> I don't know how he did it because <laughs> But Unless he's uh, controlled opposition, that's one. Yeah, thing. yeah. Well, any case, one of the unusual encounters, and this is, some, again, something I hadn't even anticipated, is that I met one of the original victims of MK Ultra, who was one of my neighbors down the road in that neighborhood. And he would be, his name, I believe, was Timothy. I mean, this is like 40 years ago. So um, it's a little hazy, that part. But we got to know each other. And man, we really... Uh, he had been, uh, he was one of those people who was a mental patient who had been given big doses of hallucinogens. And when I met him, he was a broken man. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, I mean, I had never seen anybody so frail and vulnerable. And, uh, I, I was touched honestly. And he had, he always had his, his little puppy with him that, Puppy was named Lucky, and that doggy saved his life. You know, I mean, this is like John Wick. You know, you can see that sometimes that's all it takes. Just the love of an animal could make all the difference. And uh, I never forgot this guy. He was, you know, and I knew that, well, maybe someday I'd be able to learn more about what happened. And I did. And I kept on learning. And, uh, when I started writing science fiction, which you know, I had this brief uh, career in Hollywood. Uh, first, I was an actor in film and TV, doing tiny roles in big films and bigger roles in completely unknown films, and then uh, got into screenwriting. Because after all, there's a thing about I was always interested in writing, and gradually got you know tried out different genres. Uh, historical fiction, action, and uh, ultimately sci-fi, which um, I'm still doing today, but I'm not doing screenplays. I decided, you know, I just had enough of Hollywood. It's uh, the the, uh, the level of hustling and the fact that it's not a meritocracy, okay? Because if it were, wouldn't we be seeing a lot better film and TV? Amen. I think we, you're right. I mean, so... Uh, and I, you know, I don't know the secret handshakes and, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be, you know, there are certain parties that I probably wouldn't be invited to and I wouldn't want to go to. Yeah, you, you and, don't suck you know, the right dick or dick at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you saw that film that came out, uh, I think it was last year, Babylon. Yeah, uh, Mark, yeah, yeah. And I, I tell you, that just gave me kind of like a spiritual nausea. I was just like. Going, oh my God, 
maybe I was lucky that they didn't want me that badly. And <laughs> so now I would pref I prefer um, writing stories, meaning short stories. I'm hopefully going to get to a novel eventually, but I'm trying to get the hang of just good old narrative on the page, hopefully printed up someday in a magazine, science fiction magazine. And uh, the, um, the story that I started working on this year, The Reality Benders, which is kind of a retro sounding title, is reminiscent of uh, Phil Dick's early titles. And right. it is set at Burning Man. Uh, rather <laughs> remarkably, Burning Man got in the news recently. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't anticipated the, uh, you know, the, the mud fest. But, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, the premise, uh, was that the main character, um, was a, um, a veteran, um, uh, suffering from PTSD and, uh, suicidal basically. And he decided he would go to Burning Man, um, and hopes of finding something that would give him some, you know, uh, relief or even some healing and, there is a there is a cult, a sex magic drug cult uh, called the Bridge, making its debut at Burning Man, distributing a new psychedelic drug called Epic, and this has been this is a designer drug. It has been uh, created by a scientist at UC Berkeley who uh, was once under contract with the CIA, kind of you know. Not too far off the mark as far as what actually happens. Once yeah. under contract, did you ever not get out from under <laughs> yeah, contract? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you see, the thing is that when he uh, released the formula, nobody really knew whether he was really going rogue or whether this was actually uh, part of an op. So, right. anyway, I think I've I've set the stage sufficiently. I'm not going to give away any more spoilers, but you get an idea of where my head's at. And I decided, okay, to do this right, I would probably want to learn more about, A, the history of mind control, and B, what has developed since the MKUltra days. Because goodness knows, MKUltra is like boomer mind control. Okay, that's <laughs> 1950s and 60s. That's yeah, Those yeah. are the days of Sputnik, okay, <laughs> as, and transistor radios. Okay, so things must have moved on significantly. And it turns out there is a new wave of research going on. It's been going on for at least 10 years, 20 years in some, you know, depending upon the technology. And it could be world changing. And the more I learned, the deeper I went, it's not just a rabbit hole. It's a, a, a total warren. It's an underground wow. city teeming with mutant bunnies. Okay. So this is so big. I couldn't help but say, you know, I can't just put this in fiction and hope people get it. I've got to put it out there in a way that is nonfiction that people can look up and see, yeah, this is going on. And some of it is going to become reality because, you know, there's a thing about research. Some of it will turn out to be vaporware. It, you know, you could pour millions and millions of dollars and years and years of hard work and world-class talent, and it could still fail, right? right? 
How many sure. examples have we seen of that? I mean, just look at um, military weapons procurement in the last 20 years. I mean, if you know about certain projects that have just been complete debacles, where <laughs> the, the cost overruns were like more than twice what was originally um, intended, and the and it never worked right, and it probably never will. <laughs> and, and you go, okay, that that's part of the reality. But some of these technologies or techniques will probably work, and at least partially. And if they even work partially, then you know it'll be a, a new ball game. We're gonna, you know, we can talk about the early techniques, and in feed we can talk about the whole. You know, if we talk about the transhumanist part, I would say that is an ideology that has been in development for the past century or so. Mm -hmm. It originally came out as science fiction and to, you know, get these ideas circulating. And now it's sort of translating into actual policy and business and research. And, you know, ultimately, it could turn out to be the dominant ideology of the 21st century. So I don't know how, what direction you'd like to approach this from. We could talk about the brain stuff now or the transhumanist or the science fiction, which is kind of fun because I write science fiction. I could, you know, so if you have, do you have any preference? Because well, let's uh, wait for the science fiction towards the end, give people something okay. to decompress. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and thanks for your story. I think in your uh, blog or your Substack, you write about <coughs> Operation Midnight Climax was run in San Francisco in your town. Oh, gosh. Prostitutes yeah. would lure customers and give them drugs. But I think that's the thing that's shocking is that the idea is that the CIA and the military is not supposed to uh, test on our citizens, that it only happened in Canada and Vietnam and Korea. But that's not true. Hmm. It happened in the 50s and 60s. And it, it will happen today because they need test subjects, you know? Yeah, well... I would say that there's more than likely the, the people who are doing research now um, are trying hard not to have a scandal. They'd like to keep their funding and, you know, not have to resign in disgrace or anything like that. I mean, we could look at the, the, um, the story of uh, Dr. Jose Delgado as an example of, you know, he was a very prominent researcher of, famous for um, brain implants uh, in the 1950s and 60s. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, we have pictures, by the way, in case uh, you'd like to pull them up. Because, yeah, uh, do you want to go through the pictures first? Yeah, sure. Because it then, does sort of go in order here. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we'll, yeah. uh, then we'll figure out which direction to go or what the audience likes. That's why it's fun to do live because you can get a – you know, uh, get a feel what the audience wants, and that's always mm. important. So let's I smell an Elon Neuralink coming. <laughs> yeah, we'll get. To, well, we'll definitely get to that Delgado yeah. and the Neuralink. That's okay. Uh, so. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So. so yeah, this part. This is uh, simply uh, an example of uh, behavioral techniques that are part of really they're part of our everyday life. I don't. I w if I'm defining mind control narrowly, I would say that um, that is more, let's say, um, involuntary. You can, most of the time when we're, you know, 
being raised in a culture. We're being exposed to influences continually from childhood onward. And so we might undergo conditioning of one sort or another, and it might take the form of education. It might take the form of organized religion. Um, We could be trained in any number of skills. And so really behavior, you know, all of this classical operant observational, this is part of our everyday life. Now, mind control is a different thing because that is meant to get past, it is meant to undermine volition, meaning it's getting, if you are exercising free will, you can choose to reject conditioning. You can choose to reject propaganda or peer pressure. I mean, it can be difficult, but, you know, if you, and you can, you know, reject being hypnotized if you know, understand the techniques. And then it, you would become hard to control in that manner. And so mind control is meant to get around that. And so it doesn't matter what you original, if you originally didn't want it, you're going to get it anyway. So anyway, let's uh, proceed to the to the next picture. All right, slide two. Oh yeah, this is actually prior to Delgado. This is actually even before World War II, because if we talk about the history, is it okay? Shall we talk a, just a little about that pre-war? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. because I didn't know until I started investigating the Spanish Civil War that there was a fella um, who had experimented on prisoners in enhanced interrogation. Uh-huh. Now a lot of we are familiar with that term now because Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo and the, the basic, and it was probably practiced similarly in, uh, in the Korean war when um, um, the, the communists were uh, interrogating um, American prisoners, for instance. Now, prior to that, um, the Spanish civil war was 1936 to 39 and Alfonso Lorenzic was uh, he, he was someone who uh, managed to talk his way into the uh, service of the Republic's intelligence service. And so they allowed him to experiment on prisoners in a secret prison in, I believe, Barcelona. And he had designed special cells, which were intended to uh, break down prisoners' resistance. Mm-hmm. And um, and basically, it was designed very much to make them uncomfortable, so that they could never properly rest, and then they would suffer the effects of sleep deprivation. And if you also combine that with things like um, lights and noise, again, this is something that people who who studied uh, Guantanamo and uh, Abu Ghraib similar techniques were being used. Uh, and so his cells were kind of an alternative to old fashioned torture, where instead of like, you know, trying to thrash somebody into, into talking, which actually is not reliable. And people who understand the distinction is that coercion under torture does results in the prisoner, um, just if necessary, making stuff up just in order to make the torture stop. It doesn't change the attitude of the prisoner. In fact, the prisoner could become even more hostile and, you know, um, hoping for payback someday. And 
the contrast is that is what you're seeking with mind control is to is conversion. Conversion meaning you have now altered this person's mind sufficiently that they will accept a new belief system and they will then become cooperative. That's and so whether or not um, Lorenzic's cells were effective, I think that it was showed, let's say, creativity, to say the least. Let's see the next picture, and then we'll give you an example of what I mean. This is one of his cells. And um, as you can see, there are some geometric patterns on the wall. Um, some people believe that was inspired by modern art because Lorenzic was a painter. And... Uh, and um, People might say, oh, there are influences of Kandinsky or Salvador Dali. And yeah, well, basically, he was trying to create um, visual patterns that would disorient the prisoner. And the, as you can see, there's a, a slab, a block uh, with a slope. Okay. And that was meant to be the bed or a place to sit. But as soon as somebody fell asleep because of the, because of the angle, that person would eventually fall off or slide off. You see, so they'd never really be able to sleep. And notice there are blocks, these bricks that are set into the floor. At, uh, standing up, that means that they, the prisoner cannot walk around or stand around for very long. Right? And so, gradually, this person is going to eventually succumb and become more suggestible. That's the idea, anyway. So, anyway, the after the war... Um, because the nationalists won the war, they immediately turned, they found these prison cells and made a, you know, turned this into a propaganda opportunity to show how wicked the Republic was because they had, you know, and of course, whether you take a, which view you take um, depends a lot on your, you know, it's a very ideological thing. Plenty of people will make excuses for, whichever side they uh, feel more sympathetic towards. But it really is, it's, it's always been a shades of gray thing. And uh, I would, you know, you could say, well, and it turned out that after, after the nationalist victory that uh, the, um, Franco invited some high-ranking Nazis to come visit. And so the Nazis got to get an eyeful of this and maybe it inspired them to, uh, try out mind control techniques during the war. And of course, the communists in Russia, who, because they were military advisors to the Republic, they right. too must have known about this. There's, uh, so it, this very well may have inspired both the Soviets and the Nazis during World War II. And we understand that uh, the Nazis uh, were experimenting with mescaline and hypnosis during the war. And, well, it turned out with their um, transferable job skills, they were immediately hired by the CIA after the war. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, really, you can't argue with that's a that's a that's an impressive resume right there. You know, so. And so then we entered the period of MK Ultra, and now we get to go to the hopefully the, the pictures are in uh, the order I had intended. Let's see. Let's see. Well, this gives new meaning to Pan's labyrinth walking around this place. 
Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Oh, oh, that's uh, Delgado. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Okay. Uh, yeah, so right Del- yeah, yeah. So this is an early picture of Delgado. He had gotten, he had actually, interestingly, he was a Spaniard. He had actually been through the Spanish Civil War on the Republic side. There's no evidence he had anything to do with any of that, ex- the prisoner experiments, because he was like uh, helping the medical corps, because after all, armies need people to help the wounded, right? So after he had been released from captivity, because, you know, uh, the nationalists imprisoned him for a while, he made his way over to the U.S. and um, got educated at Yale. He turned out to be a technical whiz, and he managed to get himself uh, a posting as, uh, and eventually became a professor at uh, for Yale and mm-hmm. got to do these amazing experiments with he was fascinated by um, brain stim- electrical stimulation of the brain. That was his big thing. His entire career was built on this. That's, uh, by the way, that's that um, unfortunate looking monkey. There is one of his test subjects. You, I don't. You can just barely make out what might be a device on the back of his head. Uh, but yeah. in any case, because the early implants had. Um, um, Circuit, some of the circuitry was outside of the head. Eventually, he was able to miniaturize it so that it was much more flush to the skull, and it was about the size of a half dollar. And uh, that was as far as he took it. Maybe it's gone further since then. Anyway, uh, and the uh, the box he's holding is, of course, the remote control. I mean, talk about that is definitely retro technology, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, play the I mean, I mean, really. And uh, he used a box very much like that in a very famous uh, stunt. Which, uh, oh, by the way, let's go to the next picture, and we'll get a picture of an X-ray here. Um, okay, that is one of the monkeys um, with, and you can see that there are two uh, electrodes going straight down into uh, its skull, and there's some wiring that runs along the top of the skull towards the back. And uh, like the, the original um, units must were probably hardwired at first and then uh, became wireless. He was intending remote control, hence the, the box with the antenna. And ultimately, in uh, 1963, he uh, managed to pull off an amazing stunt, and he lived to tell about it. You can show us the next picture. Okay, next picture. And that's, yeah, that is his uh, hold my beer. This is him. That's uh, Delgado with his remote control in, in, in hand. And he is a bull with the implant. It was charging straight at him. And he pushed the button on his remote and the bull stopped right in its tracks. You can see how the legs are stiffening and the dust is being kicked up. Right. And that, you know. Instant fame. Talk about a photo op. Jesus. That's, uh, so he believed in his work. And he honestly, he never saw himself as a villain. He was always the misunderstood genius. Okay. He wanted to improve the human condition. And he eventually wrote a book in 1969, uh, Physical Control of the Brain Towards a Psycho-Civilized Society. And this became very controversial because he was outing himself basically as somebody who believed that um, really um, if you want to fix the world, you're going to have to fix people and why not just mind control everybody? 
<laughs> Seriously, that's really what he believed. And uh, and really, when you think about it, if you look at things in a, from a materialist paradigm, which he definitely was operating in, um, if you can alter someone's behavior or their emotions or their perceptions simply by running a few volts of electricity through a region of their brain, then how can you take the concept of free will seriously? You see, I mean, if you look at it from that point of view, it seems quite logical. I mean, it's also psychopathic. Okay. But (laughs) it it is quite logical. Okay. That's uh, so um, we we are dealing with um, uh, a mindset and uh, it seems, you know, I don't know if, if some, if some of, you would like to view what's going on with the human condition as a kind of struggle of on the spiritual level of powers and principalities that I definitely can. I'm right there. I can definitely. uh, In fact, I have um, posted in the past half jokingly that uh, I believe this world is run by an interdimensional crime syndicate uh, engaged in loose farming and soul trafficking. <laughs> Very not. <Gnostic. laughs> just, just kidding, you know, right? But uh, actually, maybe not. And uh, but the, the the people who do the donkey work, who do the research, the minions, by and large, they uh, operate from a completely materialist, reductionist paradigm. Right. And the managerial uh, class. Yeah, well, yeah. And in terms of brain research, well, the premise that has been powering um, mainstream psychology and psychiatry and also the neurological sciences is that the mind or consciousness is an epiphenomenon of brain activity, uh, analogous to the way that a light bulb produces light. Okay. Now, if you take that and that means if, you know, the light bulb burns out. Well, that's the end of the light. It, you know, yeah. that if, if your consciousness is completely dependent on the brain, then you've got to focus on the brain. It's, that's where it's all happening. Now, one can, I think, take uh, quite different views about what consciousness is, what the mind is. I think that's one of the important philosophical and scientific questions as well. And the remarkable thing is that Scientists like Delgado and all the generations after have been oper- have been working towards mind control technology without even understanding really what the mind is. I mean, isn't that <laughs> that's yeah. utterly bizarre? But that's really that's how it is. And and also, I believe that's probably why they're going to fail ultimately. Ultimately, yeah. That's what I'm counting on. I, you know, one, I mean, there may still be casualties and there have been lots of casualties from all of the attempts, but I don't know if they're ever going to get to the point where they achieve permanent, um, total control. That is the Holy grail. And I don't think, you know, God willing, they're not going to get there. And, uh, the sooner there, the thing is that, this isn't simply about stopping or criticizing particular individuals. It's about a, a complete um, cultural mindset. And that's the thing that 
happens person by person and it can have, take long time. How this is going to happen, I don't know, but we have to at least start somewhere. So anyway, let's uh, proceed to the next picture because I think the, you know, we can, Delgado is, and this is Delgado in his later years. He eventually, after he had uh, outed himself and then faced a storm of criticism he, in early 1970s, he ended up moving back to Spain and uh, managed to get a job in a medical school and uh, continued research, but at a low, with a lower profile than before. He claimed, by the way, that he had never worked for the CIA. However, he did receive some funding, I believe, from the Office of Naval Intelligence. I mean, there were military, and one has to bear in mind that, that um, it wasn't just the CIA. There were numerous agencies all engaged in their own projects, in the military particularly. And, uh, the, and also the goals of mind control were shifting over time. Originally, it was about how to break prisoners and make them talk. And then I believe it went to how to turn somebody into a slave, basically, and let's say a, uh, an assassin, like a Manchurian candidate, no. you know, the born identity type and, or a monarch sex slave, which means that you're basically trying to re-engineer an individual. And, and uh, that takes some doing. Uh, I'm sure they accomplished at least some success, but you know the thing about programming is that at least what we've folks seem to have observed is that it can break down over time, and then you have to those handlers have to be attentive, you know, because you know they might have to take their subject in for you know a little tune-up or something, you know, <laughs> otherwise otherwise they end up like Britney Spears, you know. So. <laughs> um, Anyway, um, like I said, Delgado never saw himself as the bad guy. He was the good guy in his own movie. Okay, and that's just how it is. And uh, he eventually moved back to the U.S. at the end of his near the end of his life. And uh, but he, he was um, he had a his his attitude actually was very much uh, that what I would call basic transhumanism. The idea that you know we have the power to change human nature to make the, you know, to remake the world. Well, why don't we, why don't you just, you know, and, and uh, there are different flavors of that idea of that mindset operating in the world today, definitely here in San Francisco, because we have, you know, this is tech bro city. We've got people who are like right on, you know, think of themselves at the, they're on the, the prow of the ship you know, forging the, the way into our glorious techno-utopian future. And, and of course, they're going to make a fortune doing it. I mean, that's, you know, um, the, uh, I've got a quote here by, um, if I can just, hopefully I'm organized enough to find this thing, <laughs> where um, uh, there's, Who's the quote from? Um, Delgado, because he had. Um, oh, oh, oh! I've got it. It's there's a, or maybe I don't. Oh well, you see, the the gist of it is is that you. How do you think you're going to stand in the way of progress? How do you think you're going? You think you're going to stop technology? 
you know, and there's this sense of inevitability about it where you're not going to beat this thing. Resistance is futile, (laughs) right? So just jump on board the train and let's go full steam ahead, you know, and, and, you know, the modern version, you might've heard of effective accelerationism. It's a, it's a trendy term. It's uh, abbreviated E slash ACC. You'll occasionally find this uh, certain techies on Twitter in their profiles. And the basic idea is that um, it's you, if we are going to have progress and we're going to, in the only way we're really going to have a chance is if we go just full tilt, don't hold back, don't put the brakes on, um, let the technology and the market forces um, do, you know, take care of us. It's just, it'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> and it's, and it's <laughs> like, wow, that is a leap of faith, man. I don't, yeah, I just mean, lay down, bite the pillow. It's yeah, yeah, and and really, um, there's actually uh, you know there are folks out there and uh, who are all ready to um, you know let the AI uh, take over. You know, bow down to the AI machine god. I mean, I, I just look at this and I go, "Are you serious?" I mean, are, it's like, I mean, but there you are. I mean, these are some highly intelligent people. There was a guy. Uh, very uh, well known around here, uh, Lewandowski, who had, who was uh, um, one of the pioneers in self-driving cars. I don't know if you ever seen self-driving cars uh, in your where you are, because no. uh, we've got them. And I saw I, I usually see them with a human behind the wheel while they're training the AI. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, one night as I was returning from the airport. I spotted one of these Waymo cars with nobody inside. It started up and it tur- passed in front of me doing a left turn. And I could see the wheel turning by itself. Oh. I mean, that was, that <laughs> was, yeah, that just like took me back. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. So th- that's, uh, I personally, I don't think this is uh, such a great idea. Um, there's all kinds of situations where uh, that kind of technology could get create some real trouble, and uh, but it's tie it ties in. You know, we're talking about mind control, and as it turns out, computers and AI are totally enmeshed. I mean, these are like this is like peanut butter and chocolate. Okay, you can't you, know, right. you can have them separately, but they're going to work together. Okay. Okay, they really, there's a synergy going on here. So anyway, let's proceed on to the rest of our um, history. Right. Because we're, we have to get to the present day. Goodbye um, and damn you, Delgado. All right, let's go. Yeah, this is the MK Ultra house. This is the house, which is just over the hill from me. I could walk to it in about 10 minutes. Wow. Um, it's on, you see, I'm on Telegraph Hill. I'm on the south side. And the, this house is on the just the other side, the north side, facing the... Uh, Facing Alcatraz and the Golden Gate, okay? And uh, this is, as it looked, I think, about 20-some-odd years ago. It's already been remodeled uh, a bit. But uh, that was the house that the CIA turned into a brothel and installed, you know, hidden cameras and two-way mirrors and, you know, 
And I'm sure they had a jolly time. Can you imagine having an assignment where you, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, it's LSD and hookers. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Jesus. I just, How could you tell it yeah. from the rest of San Francisco then? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I tell you. And I figure, uh, you know, as they say, if those walls could talk. And, mm. uh, but, and uh, there's another they picture. <laughs> Let's, yeah, so you can... You can see uh, the next picture shows how it looks today. It's, All right, let's um, see what happens today. Yeah, it's pretty nice now, I would say. They took out the fire escape and it repainted it and they put a new front in. It's worth a lot of money. This is a really, this is a pretty well-to-do neighborhood. And uh, so, you know, um, then please don't bother anybody there. Th this has changed hands so many times. <laughs> I'm sure that they, pr the owners probably know something about what was going yeah. on, but you know, um, it's just a house now. Okay. It's, and it's, I think it's like 15 million or something like at least. Oh God for that. I, I know, I know this is San Francisco. It's kind of like New York now. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Any case, um, that's a bit of history right in my neighborhood. So let's keep on going because I think there's more. Oh, yeah, we're moving on to cults now. If we're, you know, no history of mind control would be complete without cults. And uh, I guess this is the granddaddy of them all, Dianetics with L. Ron Hubbard. This is, uh, I think, 1953. And, of course, it later turned into the Church of Scientology and uh, – Oh, I've got to say, in my Hollywood years, I got to work with, uh, guess who? Tom Cruise. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a, one of the most successful, if not the most successful Scientologist uh, around. And uh, yeah. did you get to see his latest movie, The uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, oh talk about synchronicity. The, uh, the, the I'm not giving too much away here, but the the centerpiece of that story is a, is an AI gone rogue. Okay. So uh, yes, yes. The all powerful AI is, uh, is the, um, the villain of this piece, really, but it probably doesn't think it's the villain. Right. So Cruz quit Scientology just recently. Did he? Uh, yeah. Apparently something about his daughter. They wouldn't let him see his daughter or something like that. Oh, Hmm. Yeah, well, in any case, so obviously uh, cults have been around for, well, geez, longer than we've been alive. And uh, the, um, let's see, if we go to the next picture, we might see a. So that's uh, L. Ron Hubbard? Looks yeah, like Julian that guy. Sands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know. Man. Yeah, yeah, about that. But he was what? He was what? Navy intelligence? Wait, yeah, yeah. Well, he claimed, wow. you know, he was. You no, know, I don't think he was quite that prominent. In any case, I don't know where he got that e, e meter from. You know that that uh, those devices they were, were using. Yeah, I bet you that is probably That's based upon. <laughs> yeah, really. We're talking. Yeah, definitely retro. Let's see what ha what we get in. The, uh, I should keep track of. Ah, yes, this is. More recent NXIVM. This is like uh, oh, yeah. uh, to you know more recent the the sex trafficking branded <laughs> and there is uh, Ke uh, Keith Rainier and uh, I think that's Allison Mack who was recently released from prison. Oh, yeah. um, 
And uh, it is remarkable that you can get people in occults who are actually educated, successful, and you can make it into a, well, actually human potential movement cults were a big thing, I think, from the 70s onward, with starting, you know, with Est, everybody remembers, I mean, some people remember Werner Erhard. And uh, there are numerous such things, you know, what you might call the, um, well, there's an acronym, LGAT, Large Group Awareness Training. That's the classification for all these, you know, what you might call the seminars. You know, it's about all these groups they got named, you know, and it's all about being all you can be. And it's remarkable that you can, the, the, the techniques of creating a cult is basically um, creating a new tr tribal identity. You know, and this really is very attractive, particularly in the modern era when people are feeling alienated and uh, they would like to have a sense of belonging. And then if you know how to utilize recruitment techniques and also promise them exactly what they've always been longing for, you know, something that makes their lives whole, you know, you can, you know, it, there's... It is remarkable what you can get people to believe once you've got them in and uh, people's temperaments. Well, also, yeah, yeah. also, too, uh, you know, when you're talking about intelligent people, obviously, people with trauma who have big voids are easier. And also, if someone said, intelligent, talented people tend to see the paradoxical nature of life and they can't get through it because life is paradoxical. It's dualities. Mm -hmm. So these cults offer... Uh, a healing from that type of thinking so that's what they're yeah no i'm yes now as far as the the way that uh, this fits into a mind control context is that you could say that this observing this i mean i'm not saying that any alphabet agencies were actually um creating or controlling cults although it's quite possible it would make just as much sense to observe and infiltrate an already existing cult and then you would not have to worry about, you know, you could actually extricate yourself and not leave traces. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the importance of it is that you can observe how mind control works in groups. And then if you can see the dynamics of different people, different walks of life in different contexts, you might be able to extract, you know, new, um, potentials for how to how to scale it up to a larger population and i had speculated and i'm you know i have to make sure i can make distinctions between stuff that's documented and stuff that where i'm going out on a limb i would say that after that whole era of you know the manchurian candidate the jason Bourne, the sex life the the one of the new objectives which is much more ambitious, is what I would call the MK society. And uh, that is very similar to what was uh, described in Adolf Huxley's uh, Brave New World. And we'll, you know, we can talk about that in, uh, when we're getting into science sure. fiction. So anyway, let's um, move on a bit and uh, see who, what. Ah, yes, now we're getting into the 21st century. And this is the next generation of research. Now, bear in mind, I'm not singling these people out because I think that they're villains. They, I don't think they are. They are 
but they're they're doing science. They're learning about how the brain works, and there are definitely therapeutic applications. And they could be, indeed, they could be highly beneficial if they do work. Um, but we also have to admit that they are dual-use technologies, which means they could have, in other words, civilian applications and then other no. applications, okay? And, it's, and those, they will all admit is that, yes, uh, whether this is uh, harmful or beneficial depends upon what you do with it, you know? And, and uh, you know, a lot, these scientists are perhaps in a position similar to uh, Werner von Braun when he was working on his rockets. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, perhaps he would have been quite happy to not make uh, ballistic missiles for the Nazis, but well, that was what was there. He was, you know, so, you know, it's a job, and he was. They're gonna, you know, you got, and he just couldn't turn it down. And because, you know, and then he got to work on uh, for NASA, and uh, I, perhaps he enjoyed that more. I like to think, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, um, this fellow here is uh, Dr. Carl Dyseroth, who uh, is. Uh, works out of Stanford. He's got his own lab. He's also an investigator for the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. And uh, one of, he is what I would call one of the pioneers and one of the leading authorities on the technique of optogenetics. Now, when it comes to this new line of research, we're going to be talking about, uh, um, there's actually two main tracks, which um, are, you know, you could say they come under the what is known as the Brain Initiative, which actually started up uh, under the uh, Obama administration, but the research actually started earlier than that. Which was, you know, the, the intention is to create innovative technologies, you know, and breakthroughs, okay, in neuroscience. And the one of the big projects is creating a map of the human brain at the a much more sophisticated map than has ever been done before. And we can talk about that in a moment. The second part, there's a structural map and there's a functional map, meaning that the structural map is rather like a, a schematic diagram that shows you all of the neurons and all of the connections between the neurons. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, and that by itself is a formidable undertaking. We're talking about, you know, it's estimated about 86 to 100 billion neurons. Oh. And imagine if every neuron can have up to 7,000 possible connections with other neurons. And now we're, if the possible synaptic connections gets up into the trillions. Now you get an idea of the scale of just trying to do a, a a 3D simulation of a human brain. And you're, I think we're going to need a bigger computer. Okay? So, <laughs> we're going to need a bigger yeah. boat. <laughs> or yeah. another brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another brain to yeah. control the little yeah. brain. <laughs> yeah. So um, now that is not even a, 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 a map that shows you the functions, the Getting the hang of understanding how the brain functions, you've got to, the idea is to um, actually track all of the 
uh, chains of neurons firing, all of the patterns that are arcing across your brain like microscopic uh, lightning bolts, thousands of times a second, or maybe more than that, all day long, all night, and correlating them with uh, all the different states of mind. And can you imagine what, and this is even beyond moonshot level ambition. <laughs> this is beyond um, you know, the atomic bomb and Bletchley Park. Yeah, yeah, all put all together. And, but can it be done? Well, let's find out, you know? And this is like, uh, just throw billions of dollars at it and maybe uh, 10, 20 years, we'll, you know, we'll see something. And you see, so I can understand why people would be skeptical, okay? Now, the thing is that Dyseroth has done a heck of a lot of work over the last 20 years. I gotta hand it to him. You, a few years ago, he and his team had uh, isolated their, Part of the brain that uh, is uh, behind the uh, the state of mind called dissociation. Now, the dissociative state of mind uh, could be actually rather important. I didn't didn't put all the pieces together at first, but when you look at it in a mind control context, it could be of central importance. In fact, it might be he might have already made the biggest contribution in terms of that, the, the dark arts, you might say. Um, the technique involves, of optogenetics, involves making a, as you can tell, there's a genetic part, but making a modification to the neurons to basically add an on-off switch that you can actuate using certain wavelengths of light. That's the opto part. And then you to activate or that desired part of the brain, you would um, have to get a light source into the brain. And, and that would require some invasive surgery to put in an optical cable, you know, <laughs> basically a fiber optic implant. And uh, if we see the next picture, I think we have got an example, a famous, uh, in fact, photograph. There is... Our, our, our test subject, and you can see right there that um, optical cable, a glow right on top of his little noggin. And this is, now the first stage of this type of research is, again, functional brain mapping. You're not actually trying to change anything about the mouse's state of mind. You're more interested in trying to correlate, act, you know, Switch something, switch a circuit on, let's, you know, a certain region and see what it does. Look for some kind of result. With mice and other animals, it's kind of difficult to really get into their heads because they can't talk to us. Okay. But, you know, they've been able to infer things just from behavior. Um, You know, you can learn a lot. And indeed, uh, the the mouse is, you know, these little brains can actually be also valuable for the. the 3D simulations as well, because they're smaller. You can, you know, it's easier to work with. Um, any case, um, we can, the, the um, that, this is obviously not really going to take off for humans. I mean, there may at some point be human subjects, but I don't think really we're going to be able to sell this idea of anybody getting a, a, a cable into their head. I don't, I mean, 
Probably not. But there, so the contribution is mainly for research. And the, there are other techniques, chemogenetics and magnetogenetics, which actually could lead to um, treatment delivery systems that humans will accept. Okay, so I don't know if we we might go on to the next one because I'm you know I'm I love I know the mouse is pretty. By the way, there's a great video with with that very picture on it. Uh, one of the slickest propaganda uh, videos I've seen on YouTube for optogenetics. And guess who made the video? The WEF at Davos. Oh, what a surprise! Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, it's really quite remarkable how they yeah. get around. I don't know what you know. <laughs> Um, and uh, one of the other um, key um, sponsors and inspirations behind the, the Brain Initiative um, happens to be DARPA. Um, go figure. Uh, DARPA yeah. and, and IARPA. And I didn't even know about IARPA until recently. That the, the D in DARPA stands for defense. The I in IARPA stands for intelligence. Okay, so... That's more a more recent creation. Um, so that is the intelligence co uh, community's version of, you know, kind of, um, I know it's a little derivative, but hey, um, they're trying to do their bit. And uh, maybe they're sharing information or maybe they're spying on each other. That, you know, <laughs> I mean, in any event, there's, a, there's plenty of... Uh, encouragement to go, you know, to go around, you know, in case uh, people want to know where's the next big thing, you know, if you want to have an, uh, a thriving career, um, maybe you want to try brain research or the advanced computer research, which is necessary to support this type of, you know, the, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they they feed each other, in other words. We'll get to that in just a moment, but let's uh, continue on to the next thing. The um, there are two the two techniques that I still wanted to cover. Oh yeah, well, this is one of the other researchers. Um, I believe the man holding the box is uh, Robinson. Oh God, I should be good at finding people's first names here. Um, holding the basketball thing. In well, the 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 I believe the fellow in the, with holding the white box is the uh, this the the head of the team uh, and they're at rice rice university and uh um I, in any case the um um there is a there are tracks of research that involve um brain computer interfaces okay that's uh and that has also dual use potentials here because uh well you can imagine you've probably seen pictures or videos of people who have had uh, who might be paralyzed and they put, uh, yeah. let's say, some a network of sensors on their head and then they can, you know, operate a computer just by moving their eyes, you know. And uh, so where uh, they could operate some remote controlled uh, prosthetic limbs or something. Right. So this is important stuff. It could be uh, extremely valuable. Um, so. Um, the, uh, let's see, you got to keep the, <laughs> I should definitely, uh, um, psychotronics, psychotronics, we'll get to psychotronics. So we, I don't want to skip over that. There's like, 
extra tracks of research here, psych, the electronic stimulation of the brain, which involving a magnet, you know, electromagnetic fields. And then there's also the psychedelic drug research. Well, you know, this is, this is a lot, a lot to keep on my, my mental desktop here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. um, to talk about, to, to get to the chemogenetics, which uh, I don't have pictures that correspond to this, but uh, again, there's a genetic modification to the neurons. And this time the on-off switch is activated by um, drug molecules. And what they are doing, they have an acronym. It's a clever one called DREADS. D-R, no, wait a minute, D-R-E-A-D-D, which stands for designer receptors exclusively activated by designer drugs. Okay, now you've got, that means you could create a specially targeted um, medication, let's say. And then you, instead of, and hopefully this will actually reduce uh, the side effects that are commonly associated with uh, psychiatric meds or um, the drugs that are administered to people with neurological conditions. And uh, yeah, so, and of course, if we were looking at it in the mind control context, well, you could create all kinds of states of mind. And of course, with uh, anything pharmaceutical, you would probably have to make sure they keep taking their meds. It's a bit like, uh, did you ever see, um, you remember THX 1138? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you'd have to make sure, you know, if, you, if there were like this mind controlled MK society that relied upon uh, medication, well, you know, you'd have to make sure you'd have to, you know, keep after them about it. <laughs> you, know? you don't want to get arrested for uh, uh, drug evasion. Right. So anyway, <laughs> So anyway, the uh, the um, the next technique, which I think is uh, could, in its own way, again be beneficial, but we still don't know fully about what the how the other the other potential uses magnetogenetics. Again, gen, there's a genetic modification, which, uh, by the way, the the modification is usually administered by means of a genetically engineered virus. Um, oh, just you know, I, I, I just putting that out there. That's you know, that is the preferred technique, um, and uh, the uh, the on-off switch in the for the neurons this time is activated by electromagnetic fields, which could be perhaps mm. the the electro. Now the thing is that the the field emitter, at least as far as I understand, it has to be in, close to the head. It has, you know, so it could mean some kind of a helmet. It could be a bulky device. It could be the kind that it requires a skilled operator, and you might have to go into a doctor's office, perhaps. And there are people right now who and uh, are getting treatments uh, called transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, TMS, for conditions like depression, uh, PTSD. There's the number of conditions where this actually does provide some genuine relief and without the side effects that come with medications. Um, and you can, you know, if it happens that there are other forms of technology that we are unaware of, which might be, let's say, 
less obvious than some kind of helmet that you have to stick your, your head into. I don't, I can't, honestly, I, I cannot even begin to speculate. This is one where, you know, yes, I'm a science fiction writer, but, you know, I don't want to go too far out on a limb. And then, you know, because right now I'm trying to give an intel briefing. It's not, you know, a sit rep. It's not meant to like go way off into the ozone. Uh, okay. So let's go on to the next thing. And uh, I, if I, we, um, I'm sure there's something, you know, it'll all come back to me now. No worry, we got time. Vince, can you uh, can you take over? Oh, I'm gonna Jesus. let the cats in the sure. Dog. All right. Yeah. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Yeah, so this is an example of the the brain computer interface. This is one of many possible configurations, and as you can see, this fellow here is operating the uh, the chess game on his computer um, just with his thoughts. And uh, so, you know, I don't know if you know anybody who has had or is now struggling with some severe neurological um, intractable ailment of some kind, but really this is, uh, there are people out there who need a miracle. You know, sure. I, I mean, I, I have a friend, uh, who is, uh, in Florida who had a stroke series of strokes actually. And now she cannot walk and can barely speak that, you know, so if it turned out that there were some applications of this brain technology that could help her, you know, uh, regains her abilities. God, I, I couldn't in good conscience tell her not to. Um, there could be consequences, but if people were informed about it, the thing is that the, the real issue, a oh, big issue is that people should not be taking treatments without being fully informed. Right. And we can certainly look at what happened in the past three years as a prime example of um, what can happen and we are probably going to be continuing to deal with the consequences i'm sorry to say for years to come um I, in fact i don't know if you, if you know anybody with uh, vaccine damage from the uh the mrna uh, Man, not jabs. personally i know yeah. some people on the web that you know that claim that but no not personally mm. yeah well you can imagine that uh yeah, it would be, uh, well, we will see, I guess time will tell if there are, uh, let's say, legal repercussions for um, the people who foisted this on us. Uh, I think there ought to be justice of some kind, one way or another. And, uh, so, and especially it's important because we don't want anything like this ever happening to us again. I mean, I... I don't know if you have personally how you might have been impacted by the pandemic. Um, <laughs> Tremendously. I mean, in terms, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I, it's like they took a wrecking ball to our society. I mean, I had to uh, quit my job because of my uh, my previous employer's mandatory vax policy, and we're in San Francisco, where pretty much everybody just bought the party line, and. 
I was not, and this was a law firm I was working for, so I was not about to uh, try to get into a legal battle, especially since I wasn't really, I didn't really like the job that much anyway. So, you know, it's <laughs> it uh, a favor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just let's say it was a, let's call it a premature retirement. And, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a rather ironic. It seems like, uh, I don't know how things look where you are, Vance, but it uh, seems a lot of the folks who are kind of sickly looking are the ones who got the jab. I don't know, but uh, it seems like, uh, you know, he's, for uh, considering that it was uh, meant to uh, make people more resistant to the virus, I don't think it's really worked out that way. Huh? Um, yeah, the most you could say is it yeah. might lessen the severity of the disease when you catch it. But as far as yeah. um, conveying some sort of immunity for any long period of time, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm I, I'm I'm trying to kind of like, you know keep it on an even keel about it. You know, a person can get rather bitter if they start thinking about <laughs> about the about how the the pandemic infected you know you or your people who are close to you. And I had oh geez, one of my uh, one of my coworkers um, during the lockdown committed suicide. Oh, no. that was, oh, yeah, that was in 2020 on uh, Memorial Day weekend. And I, I didn't know her well. But uh, clearly, uh, I think of her as a casualty of the pandemic. Yeah. Because the thing is that she had had a, a problem with depression. We, you know, she kept it to herself. And mm -hmm. I believe that her job was a people job. It required her to go out and meet people. She was like oh. a, uh, a like a recruiter. Okay. Yeah. And and her and I think that being able to the fact that she was kept at home continuously and not able to do the job that you know kept her going, right. I think that that might have been the last straw. Yeah, and I just think, yeah. God Almighty! I mean, how many? You know, it's it reminds me. It makes me think again of my neighbor who had been the victim of MK Ultra. You know, it's like, how many casualties are we going to be seeing like this? And yeah, we really do have brains are broken, like PTSD yeah. veterans. Their brains are sometimes yeah. permanently broken. Yeah. Well, it seems um, thanks to a multi-generational trauma, I think we have a mental mental illness or disorders are pretty much rampant now in a way that I've never seen before. I, I don't you know. And agreed. This unfortunately means that there will be a demand for more psychological treatments, sure. psychiatric treatments. And indeed, DARPA, uh, DARPA's interest in um, brain research, they, they say, is that they are concerned about all of those poor veterans who are struggling with PTSD. Now, honestly, because after all, the present-day medications um, are probably not uh, doing enough. You know, so we've got to find out, find some better methods. Now, I really would like to believe that DARPA really does care about our veterans. You know, I mean, my dad was a veteran of World War II in Korea. And he, oh, wow. by the time I, I was born, he had enough PTSD for three men, and it was untreated. So oh, that you can no. imagine my childhood was, let's say, rather dramatic at times. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I, I care about the veterans, but you know, I think about, well, what else could they do with this technology? Because after all, DARPA's mission is, uh, to improve our national defense. You know, these, these breakthroughs are meant to make us more capable of, you know, waging war. And that wouldn't that mean weaponizing this technology? Yeah. And sure. uh, so and who are you protecting? Where you're most yeah. of the time you're protecting the elite from the citizens from the mob. Yeah. <laughs> well, it turns out that way. Yeah. Well, another factor that had occurred to me, and this is something that I don't know if other people considered this possibility as well, is yes, there are there is similar research um into um both uh, brain research, brain um, activity and also computer, you know, advanced computer design um, going on in other countries. Some of those countries are our rivals, let's say, mm. you know, China, Russia. Let's, and you've got to wonder, um, I wonder, why isn't, this technology more classified than it is. If indeed we are rivals, if indeed we wouldn't want our most, our advanced, our um, research falling into the wrong hands. You know, this is a very different situation, in other words, from the World War II, when we had the Manhattan Project and the British had Bletchley Park uh, breaking the, the Nazi uh, Enigma Code. Those were absolutely the blackest black projects of its of their time, and however, it would seem that all of the this brain research and the computer research is all going on in the open. Yeah, that always seems everybody like that. can access this is, it. This is the tip of the iceberg. Who knows what's being done under the uh, auspices of classified uh, programs? We just won't know. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I would say that uh, there are things that one perhaps can infer, you can guess, but again, trying to confirm it, that's another story. Um, I don't want to encourage people to make mental, you know, uh, let's say reality maps that they cannot really feel um, a sense of certainty about, you know. Uh, but uh, if we see that there are, Things in the pipeline that are definitely, you know, at least we know people are investing heavily in them, you know, the computer research, absolutely. Then you've got to go, okay, this isn't just a make work program for nerds. They want something to happen. Some of it's going to work, some of it's not. And, you know, just like, the Nazis with their Wunderwaffen in World War II, they were trying everything. Nice. Some of it, you know, throwing the spaghetti against the wall and seeing what'll stick, you know? So this might be another case of that. Let's uh, proceed and we'll get into the computer side of things because this is where it all gets, everything gets synergistic, as they like to say. So yeah, that's, that's an example, of course. Nice. That is an example of um, quantum the, computer. The gla yeah, the glamorous part of the that they put this whole assembly is called a chandelier and they put this into the deep freeze because the, the current technology requires these ridiculously cold temperatures 
just barely above absolute zero. Um, now, of course, I've heard that there are um, supposedly room temperature superconductors out there, but of course, I have no, I cannot verify that. And for all we know, there could be uh, some. Could it possibly be that there might be some fraud in the scientific community? I mean, <laughs> has that ever happened? No, yeah. never, so, never. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. So you can imagine there's a lot of incentive. And maybe, of course, there might be a few people who, I don't know, uh, they, they might decide to just take the investor's money, kind of like, uh, and then kind of like, uh, you know, see you later. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you might remember um, fame. One of the famous cases was um, Elizabeth Holmes. Of course, Theranos. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, could there be something like this going on in the computer industry? Or well, it's a mechanical jerk. It's another. Yeah, get a figure. I mean, and even though you know, I'm impressed as hell about the whole idea of quantum computers. The, the fact is they've been pouring money and energy into this for like 20 years already, and they still haven't gotten the, the error correction and the noise issues um, properly uh, mitigated yet. Well, maybe I they mean, should plug it on and off. You know, you know, I just go, Jesus Christ, is this like the, the worst case of vaporware? In computer history, I don't know. Well, it's Schrodinger's yeah. computer. You open the box, and you don't. Either it's working or it's not working. You know, right. or an, inter, an interposition yeah. of both. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any case, it's right now we got a horse race going on because there's other competing uh, advanced design uh, tracks out there, and we can go on to the next one. There's neuromorphic and biological, and this is like progressively more way out. Okay, but it's wild. I think it's worth mentioning here because what we need to complete the brain research are computers thousands of times faster than anything in service right now. And it's not going to happen with von Neumann architecture. You're not going to get there from here. You got to do something radical. Okay, so let's get on to that next radical uh, design track. Now, the term neuromorphic means that they're using um, the familiar materials that they make uh, uh, processors out of, but they're reorganizing this to them to mimic the structure of, of neurons. Now, this is interesting because this is where the learning more about the brain feeds this track of research. Now, if you can actually create these kind of artificial neurons and there's a term called the spiking neural network which is really i think pretty darn clever i gotta say um if this thing pans out well you're at the very least you're going to make much more efficient computers than you've ever than we've ever seen which would mean you know you not only will they be faster but they could also consume less energy and that's a good thing because you know imagine if you imagine all those server farms out there and all of those, you know, everything gets hot. They've got to like, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of waste. And imagine if you can make it way, way more efficient. That would be cool. I mean, heck, we'd certainly have, uh, you know, imagine the gaming machines you could make with this thing. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if uh, maybe I, I don't know if you ever got into gaming, but when you I, I got into it early, so I can sort of get behind yeah, this to some degree because you know everybody's <laughs> looking for the fastest, the, the newest, fastest thing, man. Uh, so, uh, any case, we can move on to the next one. I, I mean, I wish I could explain it better, but in terms, of, but I'm not, you know, the the art of explaining complicated things and into simpler layman's terms this is like god it takes i mean <laughs> the human brain the human brain is really we're having to to make an effort here now biological computers is like the next more you know the even wow. probably the most radical because it involves materials derived from nature meaning i mean biological materials i mean rather than, you know, silicon-based processors. Now you're talking about cells or you're talking about DNA because after all, DNA contains its own code. Well, you could use DNA to be a information carrier. My goodness, you know, we can, it's, it's kind of, I, I wish I could, it, it, it requires a higher level of education just to, than I have, just to grasp the literature. And even the popular literature does. So we've and of course, the the most way out, which is just going straight into Cronenberg territory is <laughs> wetware, where you've got actually living cells that you have harnessed to to do the processing for you. I don't know if you ever saw a movie called Existence. Of course. Yeah. 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 Remember that that gaming pod? That fleshy thing that you know the, yeah. that was the and they plug it with an umbilical into the back mm -hmm. of your head. And it's like, yeah, that's that's what I'd call a committed gamer. Jeez, <laughs> you know, and that would be creating, you know, I mean, imagine the processing power because you know. So they did make. I mean, this is something that is actually in the literature. You can go look it up. You know, they made a they made a. a, a a, a primitive uh, processor using um, neuron neurons from a leech. Okay, You're right, <laughs> and, hey. and they also, you know, and another one from slime mold. And I'm going, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, what could I mean, possibly go wrong? Well, you know, you think is you got it. You got the, the the weird thing is, of course. I mean, you got to keep. You know, first you got to keep this. Your you got to keep your computer alive and healthy. Okay, I don't know what you're gonna feed it. Maybe you have to, you know, give it some sugar water every now and then, or something. Then it'll get addicted to something um, before you. Yeah, know. well, <laughs> well, any event. Um, as far as whether or not we're gonna have, you know, some sentient AI from any of these versions of uh, computers, I, you know, I'm not really gonna go that far because, well. My own take on it is that I don't know if, you know, would consciousness actually just spontaneously arise out of any kind of artificial um, processor? I mean, that runs algorithms? I don't know about that. How could but, we tell, though? Yeah, well, there's the thing <laughs> about the whole question. Turing test idea. Right. I mean, supposing what you did was, I mean, what's going on right now? All of the... The, the big, you know, the excitement that's been, you know, whipped up this year about AI, you know, with things like GPT and all that. What I sense is going on is that really we're engaged in making a 
better human impersonator. That's what a Turing test winner would be, a human impersonator. Um, it's quite possible that if there were an actual, um, a truly artificial intelligence that was aware, it might be quite alien to us. It wouldn't necessarily think like us. I mean, it might, you know, it might regard us as quite bizarre if it were. Um, you but know, could it so, pass the Voight Kampf test from? Blake? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly, if the Voight Kampf test is intended to um, detect um, empathy or the lack of it, well, that's that could be important. You know, that's a good thought to hang on to because, after all, you know, I mean, we got human beings running around today where I yeah, do they would wonder. The test. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with this whole term of NPC that's been going around, right, all right. The, you know, organic portal. And I do wonder sometimes. I mean, I never really wanted to consider that. Um, but, and I don't like to use the phrase that um, some people are just wired differently from the rest of us because that kind of buys into that materialist paradigm that the reason they are that way is because of something in their brain. I'm, I'm not wholly sympathetic with that idea. So I got to be careful of the terminology. Um, there's an already, there's already an AI out there. That's very empathetic. My, I use it all the time, actually. And it's quite, mm. good. it comes from your uh, neck of the woods there. Uh, uh, and, uh, what's the name of the company? Gosh, it's, it slips my mind, but uh, Har Harrison street. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I, you know, uh, yeah, I once, uh, actually uh, earlier this year, I t kind of toyed around with the, uh, the public uh, version of, I think it was GPT-3. That was early, earlier this year. And I kind of, after a while, kind of, I don't know, it's kind of meh, you know, I didn't really uh, feel like I was engaging I with something that was actually going to expand my world yeah you know? and I, I, I did the same thing with the same with the same thing i've done um uh, what you gonna call it uh, bard google bard yeah um but uh, i got in on the program uh but uh no yeah. pi is very interesting yeah well um regarding the the way that supercomputers i mean we're talking about you know this um i'm not gonna you know projected some time in the future, um, the the this amazing, uh, uh, incredibly fast computer that is in the pipeline. If it ever actually happens, I wonder if we're going. The public will be the last to know about it because you can imagine the strategic importance of something that th this would be so disruptive. Imagine, for instance, and this is something that I'm sure the this, the NSA is quite concerned about, and they definitely would like, the intelligence community would definitely like to stay on top of this because imagine a computer that could be used for code, you know, um, breaking every known form of cryptography. Mm. You, know, every, you know, imagine how, if you could have an AI that could hack into every website in the world within seconds, if, you know, and then you know go to work on all of that cryptocurrency you know imagine that would be 
potentially civilization ending. And there are other countries, of course, that are attempting to uh, become be first in this computer race. So, you know, I, I do wonder sometimes about um, how it is that we're being let in on it, and if it's uh, or if it's simply uh, so that they, you know maybe we're just being allowed to know just enough to entice people to get into the field if they are so inclined, they want to have a career. Because maybe they, you know, just need more people. Um, Anyway, there's another track of research, which I think is also related, but not in this kind of um, this uh, moonshot ambition level of, you know, that could just take years and years and years. There's something that's going on right now that I think will provide much more immediate results and uh, again, it m- may have uh, implications for mind control, and that is the uh, the psychedelic therapy, um, which is mm. there has been a uh, a uh, there was in fact earlier this year in Denver there was a, a major uh, convention called the Psychedelic Science, and it attracted twelve thousand people, and there are now uh, startups, you know, some of them with uh, you know with millions of dollars in venture capital uh, developing um, both new drugs and the uh, methods for using them. And uh, there are different, one of the tracks of research involves creating uh, what you might call psychoactive medications that are based upon existing psychedelics, but without the trippy side effects. Now, I don't even know if that is really possible or if it would have the same, if there are therapeutic benefits to having the, um, you know, all of the visuals, all of, you know, what we'd call the trip. (laughs) Maybe we'd, you know, uh, I don't know, but people, there's serious money going into you know, finding those, making those new designer drugs. And um, the, uh, one of the companies, in fact, uh, is in a way tied into the the brain research because what they would like to do, God, I really, I I feel as though I've, (laughs) this is all in the blog, by the way. In mm-hmm. case anyone wants to, you know, no, right. there, there are so many links and so much uh, that. Uh, well, that's the um, whole point, right? The guest comes, they give you a taste, the appetizer, and people go and check out the guest blog or book, and then they'll get, yeah. yeah. If you yeah. guys are well, disturbed now here in the audience, just wait till you read his blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, let's continue to the this part about the psychedelic um Therapy and Parents. it's con- yeah, and its connection to transhumanism and the uh, the uh, what you might call the the psychedelic uh, wave that you know st- began in the '60s up until well, it's still going on really. Yeah. And as it turns out, the notion of turning on and uh, exploring altered states actually does kind of fit in with 
in the sense that the ethos is to take charge of your own evolution. Now, that sounds like a really good idea, actually, in terms of, you know, if you rather than perhaps being led by the nose by authorities and institutions, you know, the whole idea is, you know, you can, you can wash your own brain. <laughs> so, you know, kids, you know. <laughs> well, I, anyway, the thing is that I like this quote, and I think that it's uh, that uh, it made me think that. Well, let me read especially the quote for that, those of you yeah. who, are, uh, who might be listening in audio when we get the audio version out yeah. from Terence McKenna. It says, psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window. It happened with one MK Ultra doctor, though. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally lay down models of behavior and information processing. They open you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. Yes, well, that is, uh, you know, taken at face value. That sounds pretty cool. Now, yeah. I'm wondering if there are implications, if there are other ideas that branch off of that, that idea about mm-hmm. dissolving opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior. Now, if we take a look at the trends that we have been seeing in the past few decades, which could be called a general disintegration of our, of our culture, mm-hmm. and different, many different levels, uh, Certainly, uh, the and the weird thing is that you could also say that maybe things that were in ways of thinking and being and are uh, institutions that aren't working, maybe they should break down. Maybe it's good that they be deconstructed and then we can build something new in its place. And but then again, on you know, if you take a look at this not as a black and white thing, but as kind of a mixed bag, you know, kind of yin yang, mm-hmm. is there a way that this dynamic could be harnessed for um, rather nefarious purposes in terms of um, building the brave new world? Because if you had to. If you're if you're if you had the agenda and you had the influence to um, you know create this uh, techno utopia which might actually be uh, a kind of high tech global gulag, well, <laughs> you probably won't get there without destroying the institutions of the present order. Now, you know, when we're talking about taking a wrecking ball to our culture, mm. was it possible that things like uh, the various forms of uh, ways of changing people's minds can be used in that manner? Um, I hope that's, is that, I hope I'm coherent to be here because I'm, I know it's, I'm, dra- you know, I'm drawing this out. No, no. <clears throat> Fire from the gods. Everything casts a shadow. So, 
wrecking yeah, ball to our well, culture, that's too, it's too late. It's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, that's one of the things that I, I, I am concerned about. I mean, even though I'm not being nostalgic about the good old days, you know, I mean, you know, there are folks who obviously might think that, you know, the 50s and the 60s were, the, you know, the peak, or maybe they might think the 90s were the peak, depends upon, your, you know, your point of view and when you were born. But uh, um, there does seem to be, you know, a lot of people, I would say, would agree that uh, the golden age is behind us. <laughs> and then what happens next that, you know, when empires go into decline, some can be rather steep. And uh, the thing is that I get the feeling nowadays that um, things like nation states and governments and empires, these are in a sense, egregores. They are, they exist really only in our minds. You know, you can, have all of the buildings intact and all of the people and all of the land and all of the resources, but the, the, the whole idea of having a culture at all, it exists here in all of us. I mean, I'm pointing at this as if this is the seat of consciousness now. Come on. I, like I said, I, I do call that this. premise into doubt. You're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's all in here somewhere behind the eyes and between yeah. the ears. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, let me see. Uh, there was another. As far as the golden age, I'd have to say the 90s. We had grunge and Vanessa Williams. I mean, what else did you want? <laughs> and the X-Files. Oh, <laughs> and the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say the 50s because we had Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, clearly, you know, it, it's partly a matter of one's one's background and circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Uh, of course, know? just kidding. Yeah, that's it's my all right. point. Yeah, but you are right. There was this uh, this uh, Russian writer. He came from the Soviet Union, but now he's back, and he talks about how empires fall. And it's usually, you know, first it starts with a war that goes bad. Then it's the banking system. Then it's the government. You know, there's a. It goes. The last thing is the culture. And he says, whoever's doing this with the United States started backwards. It's like, first, we're going to destroy the culture, then the military, then the banks, then the government. So mm-hmm. somebody switched yeah. the plot. Yeah, well, certainly one of the, if now you probably heard of a, a Russian defector named Yuri Bezmenov. I think that was, I think uh, that's that. yeah. yeah, I hope I pronounced it correctly. Well, he had. And uh, when he came over to this country, he'd been telling folks about that uh, there was a there was a long range plan by uh, the communists to um, basically break down and uh, destabilize our our culture. And he called this, you know, the, the end stage process was called demoralization. And I do get the feeling that, well, you know, maybe the. The Communist Party, quote unquote, isn't really what it used to be, uh, but something is going on. I don't think that this there's a process of decay that may have been, if not initiated, it may have been accelerated or encouraged. Um, and certainly we can see the results as far as uh, the breakdown of the family. I mean, 
the whole notion of um, pair bonding and uh, families that stay together and raise their children to adulthood. I mean, this is starting to pass away. Like, oh, that was something that you know happened in the in the olden times. You know, Pepperidge Farm remembers. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I go, well, is are there trends right now that are actually you know increasing the fragmentation? On purpose, and I, I'm, you know, I hope I'm not going out on a limb here. When I, no, uh, they're there. I, it's, it's obvious. There's always something like yeah. that. There's always yeah. an opposition in every age. I think. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I mean, certainly people have been talking a lot lately about uh, the, uh, the negative effects of woke culture. That's the, the term, and this gets very politicized. It isn't really supposed to be a left versus right type of thing, but it has become that just like, you know, whether you're, um, you know, um, vaccinated or unvaccinated seems to have become a political wedge issue. And it never should have been that. And yet, and and really, I think now that is another part of the breakdown in terms of, you know, consensus reality that has left the building a long time ago, and it's not coming back. We are now in an age where I think that, uh, and it may be, again, it might be deliberate where um, everybody is encouraged to go down um, these separate reality tunnels, and now they can't even agree upon the fundamentals of what's real or not. And then if you don't even agree on your basic axioms, then you can't even have a proper debate, let alone reach agreement to, you know, do something as a community. And I just go, wow. It's almost like uh, our society is being chopped up for kindling and uh, somebody's going to throw a match in it and uh, it's all going to just burn to the ground. I don't know. Or it'll uh, swing to the other side and we'll end up in a theocracy. Well, there's, yeah. Obviously, mean, there, yeah. yeah, there may be, in fact, you know, got to figure there's a thing of, we sometimes make assumptions about the owning class, the, fo- the folks who th- believe they're the masters of this planet. And, you know, you own nothing and you would be happy, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I guess mind control is the happy part, you know, because, uh, yeah, the brave new world is really, you know, how to make people uh, accept their servitude. And, uh, you know, get in the wagey cagey and keep on cranking away, you know, and, uh, you know, we'll give you pleasant sensations in your brain because freedom is simply brain chemistry, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we hackable uh, animals. We're hackable animals. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't even have to do that. All they're going to do is redefine happiness and say, I hurt. I'm sad. I'm depressed. That's what (laughs) happiness is. Ah, uh, gallows humor. I love it. Yeah, you know, we should uh, go to the next picture because I think this fits right in, and this is where we get into good old yes. old-fashioned sci-fi. And here you can see this is rather prophetic, you might say, because total uh, that's, social conversion. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he. Had, let me tell you, this guy, you know, number six in the prisoner, uh, was definitely uh, went through a whole lot of different treatments. Let's say they really put him through the ringer episode after episode. 
And uh, what a, you know, talk about a hero. I've never seen a hero of this type before where, you know, he's basically trapped in this, uh, 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 what you might call the uh, a techno dystopia, trying to get out. And they're basically trying to, uh, every possible technique to, to break him and to basically change his mind literally change his mind mm-hmm. and uh so he'll he'll be a lifer okay and uh there was actually one episode i think it was a chimes of big ben in which uh, number two who was uh, i think leo mckern the guy with the beard he had uh, famous he had said he was having a chat with uh number six here and uh he basically said that uh he felt that uh, it didn't matter which side ran the village. This was uh, that they were ultimately realizing that they were really all the same, the the great powers, and uh, that the village was really the model for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, the yes. whole world That's as the village. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, number six said, you know, well, and I'd like to be the first man on the moon. Yeah, <laughs> <please. laughs> as zing and uh you know the uh sometimes i really do wonder sometimes i mean no, i i've gotten uh very acquainted with gnosticism thanks to you and uh and i do get the feeling that perhaps this world functions as a kind of escape room i always found that it was interesting that anyone could actually make a business out of locking people into a room that was basically like a, <laughs> a miniature version of the world we already were right, born right, into. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, you know, fun for fun for the whole family, you know. So uh, I just go, wow. Well, you know, perhaps you know this is a test of some kind. You know, I don't. It's, I'm hesitant to. Uh, try to draw fanciful pictures for other people about uh, how I view the whole cosmic order. I mean, I'm, even though this all seems like pretty hard headed, you know, factual stuff with some, uh, hopefully some critical thinking applied. I am actually really quite, um, you know, uh, kind of a mystic weirdo in my own way. And uh, I'm, writing science fiction from that point of view. And the um, and this is where Philip Dick and I seem to be uh, simpatico. I'm rereading some of his books now, and uh, uh, maybe at some point, maybe I'll read one of the jingles from Ubik. I think that was, that, <laughs> that was, that was so cool. He's the, uh, the whole concept. Uh, but um, I think that one of the problems that is, our culture has not figured out how to resolve is that uh, the, the trajectory ever has ever since the enlightenment has been towards uh, secularization and the despiritualization of the, the culture, the official culture at large. And I think, well, then there's a vacuum and the vacuum cannot be adequately filled by a, a cult of science and technology. But I do believe that transhumanism is an attempt to do just that. Mm. And uh, 
the, the in fact, the, the uh, popular theories, and I do have tried in this past year to educate myself about theoretical physics, uh, uh, the theories about dimensions and the multiverse. And I recognize that we have, everybody can basically agree that we live in a 4D space-time, you know, three dimensions in which, you know, all of this is contained and then time as the fourth dimension. And we can visualize that more easily uh, as a spatial dimension. If we look at uh, examples in, uh, let's say there's a film like Interstellar, you may have uh, seen where you, the Tesseract scene is really, I think, quite brilliant. Um, And what is the, the part that no one truly knows about is are the higher dimensions beyond 4D space-time. And it is basically understood among materialists that there is no spiritual dimension included, and nobody knows how to verify it or find it, even if they wished to. There's nothing, there, there's nothing within the structure of our science that would even uh, allow it to be become verifiable, there are no experiments that uh, would be sufficient. And uh, but we can they that doesn't stop them from speculating that there are higher dimensions. If you go by let's say string theory or M theory, you could count up uh, these enfolded dimensions uh, from five to ten to eleven. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all right now. It's speculative in the sense that we don't have even the experimental data to uh, begin to verify this, but, you know, it sort of helps the, you know, in terms of on a theoretical basis, it kind of like fills the gaps, you know? And, uh, and of course we've got some great experiments going on, some very expensive experiments at CERN to gather more data, you know? Um, I know there's, now, whether or not CERN is doing other things uh, that we haven't heard about, well, ah, God, you know, I do, I don't know. Do you have any particular opinions? Because I am willing to entertain all kinds of high strangeness. Yeah. Sometimes I, I think of a kid trying, trying to strike a match over and over again to set his house <laughs> on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you know, by any chance, uh, did you ever read a book called Eye in the Sky? By uh, you know Phil Dick's uh, okay. novel yeah. from the late fifties, yeah, and I, I was kind of struck by the fact that he had set this story um, here in the Bay Area at a particle accelerator that had had an accident, and the, right, right. the the people who had were there were about there were a group of s- s- people who had, were taking a tour at the time of the accident. They were knocked unconscious and they woke up finding themselves in an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. This was like one of the very first, you know, I mean, there might have been alternate reality stories before, but this was like one of the ones that stands out because uh, they, the, the people gradually realized because they were seeing little inconsistencies, little differences from the world that they, that they uh, thought was, you know, the familiar world, and these inconsistencies bothered them enough that they figured we're 
something's wrong here. We have to get back to our own reality. So that was the you know, inciting incident. And, uh, and I was reminded of the Mandela effect. And uh, I, I do think about this, and I know that we, we were talking about mind control and transhumanism, and yet I cannot help but uh, look at this in a larger context because there is always a larger context in which things are happening. And uh, um, I don't know if you've had any personal Mandela effects where it's not the kind that you hear about from other people, but something in your life where something changed and you can't account for it in a, in a rational way. It's, uh, <laughs> it's called getting older. <laughs> well, okay. Remembering things is hard. <laughs> you know, okay. I, have a, I have a funny story about that. Maybe this is a Mandela effect. Um, when I was married to my first wife, we had a big wedding and the whole thing, and we were all in love and everything. The minute we got into the car on the way to our honeymoon, she changed. She's a totally different person. As if, you know, like she'd made a total mistake. And from then on, things went downhill it was Whoa. like a nightmare dang it's, it's like the berenstain versus the berenstain bear you know mm. <laughs> maybe that was the mandela effect i stepped into another universe yeah yeah well anyway uh i guess we can um let um number six go on his way and we can just uh get our uh you know all right yeah can, i think we should uh maybe regroup for another show if we want to talk about science fiction because we've already done two hours and we yeah boys super chats yeah did it fly by man or what yeah yeah, yeah. the audience yeah. has really enjoyed it but vance super chats or you want to post those yeah we got we got uh, we got a couple we got uh chester and i don't even know what the context of what sydney gottlieb do you know about sydney? oh Towards well that beginning. was one of the yeah that was one of the original mk ultra um, yeah. scientists i mean him and uh, uh cameron were uh, big wheels uh you and cameron and Ca- i think he was in canada and uh so yeah they were doing stuff with all kinds of techniques i didn't even name them all you know they're electroshock and um let's say um you know oh microwaves shit there were so many so the psych is the psychotronic oh, yeah. techniques. I mean, there are so many different technologies and parts of the electromagnetic spectrum they were trying out. Yeah, the uh, anyway, I know that famous for doing that, you know, with the yeah. uh, bombarding yeah. buildings, the yeah. American embassy with microwaves. That, that was a true story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a Moscow uh, signal and the Havana syndrome. Yeah. Havana. Are, and, uh, um, by the way, um, I got one question uh, that I wanted to put to you because this is a Philip K. Dick type of question. Um, have you recently uh, felt that reality feels less real than it used to? Like, uh, let's say, before the Internet or something? I, yeah. Just curious. And, yeah. But my mystic or mystic abilities meditation has been ramped up the last few years. So chalking yeah, up well, that. Yeah, well, of course, you know, if it was an extreme thing, they would have the the, the psychiatrists would have a name for that. They might call it, <laughs> you know, 
derealization or depersonalization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, whether there's a medication you could take, I don't know. But more likely, uh, you know, we have to be careful about things like dissociative states or even meditation because these are kind of adjacent enough that one can lead to the other. But I'm not saying that dissociation is a negative thing. It's simply it's it has potentials in all directions. It's like right. the grand central for uh, altered states. And I look at it like anal the best analogy I could leave you with is that um, all, going into altered states is kind of like going swimming in the ocean. Now, swimming in the ocean can be a wonderful thing. I mean, I've done it in Hawaii and uh, it can be just so marvelous. Uh, and at the same time, the ocean can kill you, you know, and even if you think you know what you're doing. So uh, never turn your back on the ocean is what the Hawaiians would say. And that's, uh, this is uh, sound advice. And now I'm not interested in people getting more afraid that's not going to help us. That's exactly not what I want. Uh, an Intel briefing is to provide you with something you can build into your reality map and then reorient yourself. And then you'll be able to prepare responses for whatever scenarios you can game out in advance. Point. You don't want to wait until your adversary is springing it on you. You want to be ready. It's kind of like be the... Ready. There's a historical example I could give you if anybody is, I'm a kind of like one of those World War II history guys, you know, we are, <laughs> and compare the attack on Pearl Harbor with the Battle of Midway, only six months later, big difference. And I would say that the, the pand COVID pandemic was like our Pearl Harbor. We all got blindsided. I mean, I was. I didn't know what to do. I just followed the leader just like everybody else for the first year until the vaccines came out. And then I started to, because I understood they weren't sufficiently tested, no matter what they said. And then, you know, okay. But now we've had some time to think about this. And if there is a next time, well, the tables could be turned. Let's say the battle in Midway turned out quite differently for the Japanese because we had better intel on them than they had on us. Right. And they, the Japanese had come, lost the element of surprise. And, and that's that in, the intel that they got made the Navy got got made all the difference, I think. And the outcome could have been so different had they not been prepared. Um, so, yeah, there was still a tough fight and there was still years of s bloody struggle ahead after that. My father was part of that in the mm -hmm. Philippines. And uh, but, you know, uh, you could say that sometimes the war is won fairly early. I mean, in, in this case, you know, it just wasn't it wasn't obvious to everyone. But uh no one should ever think that uh, the psycho is in charge, hold all the cards, or that there's some kind of, you know, um, super geniuses, because really, they're not. They're really not. I mean, inbred uh, fools with a lot of money. That's yeah. And, you know, they very well might be the sort of folks who 
keep trying the same thing over and over and wondering why it's not working anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we got to hope that if there is, I mean, cyberpunk dystopia is here right now. I mean, it's right outside my window here. The thing is, wait, here's another super chat for you. Oh, sorry. Can you trust trust the machine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you see, you know, we could talk maybe about the, that whole ecosystem of consciousness out there where we're actually out there. We're in it. We're, there's this, you know, we're in a multidimensional ecosystem of consciousness. And that means there, that includes, you know, friendlies and it includes predators and parasites, the whole gamut. Okay. And uh, so um, there very well are, uh, I'm certain that there are friendlies out there. And um, I'm also, you know, uh, my own inner source tells me that there is a, there is such a thing as a spiritual hierarchy too. The exact nature of that, well, I'm, you know, I'm still kind of like trying to work that in. I don't want to, I, I am from a Catholic background, so I understand the, the concepts. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not committed to them, but I am examining them, re-examining them. Uh, and uh, we can talk about uh, the whole art of reality mapping at some point because it's a topic near and dear to me, and I it yeah, could be helpful, uh, you know. Yeah, let's get you back on in October, November. We'll 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 plan, and yeah, we'll go to science fiction, uh, art. I mean, the reality mapping, all the stuff we've missed. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'd love meantime, that. Yeah, in the meantime. Uh, I already have it in the show notes. Uh, for those of you, I'll have it on the show notes when the audio version, but it's uh, the Open Sanctum, opensanctum.substack.com. But again, it will be on the show notes. Check out Wayne's stuff because we we simply we only scratch the surface and we'll get into it more. But you guys in the chat had some great comments. I didn't see much of uh, the chat turning into a chitico. No, not at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Good. Well, everybody well, guess, the, on this subject. Yeah. Well. Well. Thank you for keeping them, uh, keeping everybody in order, and uh, thanks for being here, Vance, keeping us in order. Oh, no problem. It's then Wayne, my, yeah. my Golly. privilege and fun. Yeah, Golly, Wayne. I, I, we I love really your know. your maiden voyage was great. You didn't hit any icebergs. You <laughs> yeah. Smoothly. Well, I know it's a bit of an uh, it was an info dump for sure, but I'm glad you if you thank you for bearing with me and uh, you know I know that everyone time and attention are precious and I'm really grateful. You know I hope that I've made it worth your while. You know, no, because so, a lot of so people, much out there. You know? Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of guests, everybody's heard of MK Ultra, Paperclip, but. You're bringing, you know, the new generation of technology that's being. So that's the important thing because, yeah, like you said, it's not going to be LSD and uh, rooms with bricks or all this other stuff, microwave ovens. And you didn't get any egregore on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, well, Wayne, thank you very much for coming on and uh, we'll have you on soon for sure. Indeed, it's a pleasure, and uh, send you my blessings. And you Thank know, you. I'm Bless confident. You. Okay, Bless I actually you. okay. Take care of yourself. We'll be we're we'll gonna be in win touch. It. We're gonna win yeah. it. And for you in the audience, yes, keep waking up. 
keep prepared for the next round of propaganda, mind control, uh, mass formation that's coming down. And yeah, have a good rest of your week for uh, more intensity on Friday. I believe we'll have David Block, who's going to take us also into an intense journey into occultism with the with the famous Gollum god and the machinations of dark magicians and high places. But until then, yeah, everybody have a good night. And as I always say, uh, yeah, write your own gospel, live your own myth. Take care, everybody. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.